Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And there's a lot of good stuff on the site right now, including our announcement of our new Blister Labs initiative in collaboration with the University of Colorado Boulder and the new engineering school at Western Colorado University. Blister has been committed to producing the best qualitative reviews of bikes, skis, running shoes, and other gear. But Blister Labs will combine that expertise with the engineering faculty and students performing qualitative analysis of that same gear to better inform our reviews, and we're very excited about it. We think you will be too, so check that out and stay tuned for a whole lot more news out of Blister Labs very soon. Okay, so my guest this week is Katie Winton, and anyone who followed her 2021 season knows that it was a tumultuous one, to put it lightly. But for those of you who maybe don't quite remember, Katie had been racing for Trek for quite some years and having really good results on the EWS circuit, but then due to a combination of factors, got left out of a factory ride for 2021 and did a very impressive job of scrambling to put together her own program and race the full EWS season, functionally kind of as a privateer. And the story has a happy ending because Katie just signed with GT Factory Racing for 2022. So we sat down to talk about her 2021 season and everything she learned by racing as a privateer and how she approached the team negotiation and contract side of the sport for 2022 and her plans for the season and a whole lot more. This is a really fun one. So let's get right to my conversation with Katie Winton. Katie, thank you for coming on. Great to have you here. How are you today and where are you today? Hello. Thanks for having me. I am in Queenstown in New Zealand and I'm doing all right today. <laughs> How are you? Get hanging in there. As we <laughs> just talked off record, it's been a little bit of a chaotic last couple of days for me, but making the best of it. That's it. That's it. There's a, there'll be a positive somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Getting on with it. All right. So, well, before we get into your recent signing with GT and everything you have planned for 2022, I kind of want to wind the clock back a little bit and chat about your 2021 season, because as people may or may not be aware, it was a bit of a hectic one, I guess would <laughs> be one way to put it. You'd been racing for Trek for five seasons prior and had been putting up some really good results, but then found out fairly late in the game that Trek wasn't going to be re-signing you for 2021, and you kind of had to scramble to fill in a program. And so take us back to kind of when you got that word and what the next steps were like once you needed to do something else for the season kind of unexpectedly. Um, it was kind of like mid to end, well, towards the end of October that I had the conversation that I wasn't going to be re-signed. And so I was just like, all right, okay. <laughs> action stations because it's quite late in the year and I still want to be racing bikes so how are we going to make this happen so immediately it was about finding the contacts to try and figure out what teams were available if they had any spots if anybody was considering anything and at this point a lot of them were like oh yeah quite interested oh actually we've just signed kind of our our whole roster so it was kind of a bit of those kind of conversations. I knew I wanted to try and stick with SRAM and RockShocks if I could. So I focused mostly on on those teams. And then also just trying to figure out, okay, could I do this myself? I've always wanted to do it myself. You know, just give it a shot to see, if, see how it would be. 
what brands don't have a presence in enduro and would they be open to an opportunity so just trying to you know get a team if that's available but then also look for any other potential opportunities and keep my my doors open as much as possible to make racing happen the following year so when you say brands that didn't have a team you're talking like once you kind of run down the list of the major factory teams and hadn't made anything work there you started looking at companies that made a bike but didn't necessarily have quite the same factory team presence to have a conversation about well i'm going to do my own thing how about your bike be part of it kind of a thing is that a a fair assessment of what you meant there yes and no i was kind of doing all at the same time because i knew time was of the essence like you need to get onto this quickly and because the thing is you have a chat or you send an email and then you get a reply and then it's like another week before you actually have a conversation. These things all take time. So you have to really talk to everybody all at the same time to try and figure out what options are there or not there. And even sometimes getting an answer as simple as no is really difficult. Like I found that quite hard. Sometimes they just wouldn't get a reply after you've been talking for a little while. It's like, it's okay to tell me no. Like I'm okay with that. I'll be sad, but like, then I know, okay, that's not an option. I can move over here and do this instead, you know? Just want to know what's actually going on. So, yeah, all of it was kind of happening at the same time. Just, as I say, trying to keep all the options open for as long as possible to make sure that if one... Because, you know, when you're having these conversations, sometimes they sound really good for weeks, and then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. So if if you've got all your eggs in one basket, you kind of screw yourself over. So you want to kind of keep having lots of conversations at the same time to make sure that if one falls through, you've got another one going on, you know, just trying to cover your back a little bit. Yeah, that all makes sense. And is in a a funny way, a little bit reminiscent of the uh, process of trying to review bikes in 2021, especially with how short supply everything is in. There's so many conversations of (laughs) talking to brands and being like, hey, we know we'd like to get this bike lined up to test. And then they're like, yeah, we'd love to get you one. It'll be two months. And then three months later you've never heard back from them and follow up and don't get you know on and on and on so yeah yeah exactly the same thing i'm sure there's a lot of different jobs and scenarios that that's a similar sort of thing you just have to kind of keep lots of plates spinning at the same time so that you've still got something going on you know right exactly it's sort of been a bit of a guessing game to figure out even how many bikes to try to get in with the expectation that you know x percentage of them aren't going to show up and you know aren't going to happen or whatever and have an appropriate workload at any given time but (laughs) (laughs) no work then all of the work all at once (laughs) right yeah no it it can go both ways it's uh yeah fair bit of guesswork that goes into that you know like you said if you started this all in october that's awfully late in the game generally speaking for this right and do i have it right that you had maybe been expecting to come back with trek and not doing as much of this legwork before kind of finding out that Trek wasn't going to be in the cards for this year and um, found yourself a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of just having to scramble at the 11th hour? Yeah, definitely. I think I had wrongly assumed that my position was okay. We kind of had a, a rough conversation about it in September of like, you know, is this likely, is this not? But I think what needs to be understood is that 2020 was a really weird year. So everything was shifted back to the end of the season because of COVID. So I hadn't, I only had three races to prove myself I was, you know, worthy of continuing with another contract. Where 
at that point in the season, normally I would have had a whole season of races that would have and a lot of chances to show what I was capable of. So I was already a bit stressed about it coming into the, the, the back end of the season. They wanted to wait until after the season, which is them coming into October. So everything's been shifted. The whole industry is in a little bit of like, what's going on? <laughs> Do are we? We've hardly had any races this year. Are we going to race in twenty twenty one? What's going to happen with COVID? So there's there's so many different layers to this situation that it's not. It happens a lot within the bike industry, and I'm sure a lot of different places where your contracts just fall through. A lot a lot of sports people end up in this situation, but this particular one had a lot of layers in it that was just a complete wrong place, wrong time scenario, and. Yeah, I think looking back and the message that I try and tell everybody now is don't make any assumptions that your team's going to sign you again. <laughs> doesn't matter if you've got top five results. You need to make sure you're speaking to other people and just see if there are potential other options so you're not left hanging in the lurch like I was. You'd been really remarkably open at the time, kind of late 2020 now, about the situation that you were in and did a really good job, I think, of talking about a lot of what you've just laid out again in terms of how contracts work in the bike world and the particulars of where you were at at that point in time, on, just talking about it on social media and the rest in a way that I think we kind of the general bike interested public, if you want to put it that way, don't necessarily tend to get a very good view into all those machinations and how that part of the bike industry works for the most part. And uh, yeah, you're, you talked about it in a way that was pretty illuminating, I think, and um, in a way that we just don't get to see all that often, but I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, you'd had a particularly strong results in 2017, 2018, finished third in EWS both years, but then, you know, had a nasty concussion and had been struggling with that a bit. Do you sort of think that the little bit more uneven results you've been having more recently kind of in the aftermath of that injury were, was a big part of kind of, why Trek wasn't ready to commit very early in 2020, in addition to all the stuff you already talked about in terms of just COVID weirdness and a great deal of uncertainty as to what the racing world was going to look like in 2021 too. Yeah, definitely. I think ultimately they want results and so do I, you know, I'm there to win and it hadn't happened until that, at that point, you know what I mean? And so they have to make tough decisions because it's sport and it's business, you know, and I think they would have kept me on had they not overspent in their budget elsewhere and they were going to put themselves into a pretty difficult situation. So it's it was a it was a tough place to be, especially when at the start of 2020, I was basically on the form of my life. <laughs> I'd recovered from the head injury. You know, I'd like come 17th overall in a whole enduro race in uh, New Zealand like a big one in Cable Bay. And I was like, wow, that's meant, you know, like all the men and everything. And I felt good. I knew I was on good form. I was like, my brain's working, my body's working. I was totally at one with that bike, you know, and it was mint. And then <laughs> I never got to use that because we didn't race until September. And then in September, I jumped on a brand new bike three weeks before. So all of that really good prep was out the window because all of a sudden here I was way later on a bike that I wasn't, as comfortable as I was as the previous one, you know, it takes a while to get up to real pace on a new bike. Certainly for me, 
especially when I was so at one with that previous bike. I'd been riding that since like the end of 2016. So we had a long-term relationship going and we were on fire now, you know, and and then I was just jumped onto this one. So that upped the pressure on myself as well because I was like, oh gosh, right, I now need to try and get used to this, get this up to speed. And I'm in, I've got three races to try and do this. So, and I know what I'm capable of, but I haven't been able to show it over the last few years because of all these injuries and things. So it's like, it's, it is difficult, but it's just the brutality of sport. And that's a reality. If you're not performing, doesn't matter what's all happened, you're not performing and that's it. You, you know, it's over to you to try and figure out a way in order to, to bring the results. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a tough place to be in, I'm sure. And I guess I, this is sort of a, a tangent that I hadn't quite planned on, but I'd be curious to hear sort of your thoughts on in 2022 now kind of i mean of course you're a racer first and foremost and are i'm i have no doubt just that's what you want to be doing and being focused on results is kind of front of mind in that regard but when you're talking to sponsors now kind of how much is social media and other kind of engagements along those lines a part of what they are looking to see in someone in your position or is it really still pretty much just focused on race results and kind of whatever you're doing on the side is gravy so to speak um i think it's a bit of a mix i tend to play with my to my strengths because i know that my social media is good and that i can create good content so i use that as a bit of leverage it's like look if you're buying into me you're gonna get results but you're also gonna get all this other side of things and i do think that it's important but ultimately if you're winning the race then how important is it really and it comes down to the company that you're working with and what's important to them and making sure your values align with that. So when I was on Trek, I didn't feel like the social media side of things and sort of the sort of creative media side that I could do was really embraced because they were so focused on results. And that's fine, you know, but it was up to me to find, you know, when I was way when I was way back in the day when it was 2016 I got signed you know it was just the best thing ever I'm on this team and all that but now that I'm more mature and I've got a more established presence within the bike industry I'm like right okay who can I align with that values the media side and is going to allow me to um, get creative within the marketing side of things and do the results too so that's where the shift starts to come and you know if you want to, if you just want to be a racer and you just want to win there are brands that are all about that. If you provide the results, then that's mint because you're ticking the boxes with them. But if you want to do a bit more of the media, then you move with other brands that see that as more of their focus. So it kind of just, it depends what brand you're talking to and what they want from you as to how important or not it is to them. So it's kind of, it's a dependent question, I suppose, and who you're working for. But I do definitely, like when I was writing proposals in 20. For 2021, the media was a big side of it. It's like, right, I'm going to be doing this myself. <laughs> I want to, I want to get results, and that's what I'm trying to do. But if I don't, then you're still going to be getting all this media. Like I'm still going to be providing X, Y, and Z. So it kind of took the pressure off me as well because I was like, I'm going to be going into this situation doing this on myself. I don't know what results are realistic to be trying to aim for. So if I'm providing all this stuff, then it takes my results off the hook a little bit because they're all getting this other stuff instead. So oh, That's a really good answer. And 
I yeah, I guess totally makes sense that different brands would have somewhat different priorities in terms of the ratio of what they're looking for or whatnot. So okay, well, that's that's illuminating. So take us through sort of where things went from there. So you're we're now in late 2020. You're working on trying to figure out what your options are to race in 2021. Where did you go from there? Well, then, <laughs> then it got really hard <laughs> because the thing is I was, and it was a great experience, you know, when I look back on it now, because I had to really look myself in the mirror and go like, what is it that you want? You know, what is important to you? What are your values? Where do you, you know, who is it you want to work with? And, you know, who's relatable? What companies are going to support you in the way that's going to make sense to you, get the most out of you, that you're going to feel valued and that you can really build a relationship with. And if you're going on a team, what kind of team does it need to be? So there was a lot more questions. Like people are like, oh, but what about, you know, this team or that team? It's like, it's not just about getting on any team. It's about finding a team that was right for me, the environment that was going to allow me to perform at my best. And that's the difference. It's not just about getting on a team. Like when I was young, yes, it was just about getting on a team because I had no idea what a team would be like. And it's not until you've been on them that you go, okay, well, that was important to me. That worked. This didn't. This is actually sort of what I'm looking for. Because there was a couple of options that I had to really weigh up. And it was like, okay, I've got, you're going to pay me money, but you're set up, you're not paying me as much money and your setup's not quite as good. So, I would take a pay cut if you had a really good setup because the value in that is high for me. But if I've got to do more because the setup's not as good, then I can't take I can't afford to take a pay cut because I'm going to bring more to your setup than what you have. Which <laughs> it sounds cocky, but I'm running a business myself as well, and I've got to I know where I want to go. I know my goals are to win. Is this going to allow me to? And how am I? How am I going to do that? And what else will I need to put in place in order to make that happen? So there are a lot of different levels to it. So it made it quite difficult because I was like, okay, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. Well, I'm going to just try and do this myself. I've still got a couple of options kind of spinning, a couple of plates going. And then it just kind of all fizzled out. And I was like, right, what am I going to do? Because... Nothing's really coming together. I have no more capacity to make any more proposals because the thing is, like, you get different options coming to you and it's not just like a copy and paste proposal because some brands have, they have bikes, but they also have clothing and they also have protection all bundled into the one brand. So they will be getting a lot more than if it was just a frame, if you see what I mean. So you then have to like make specific proposals for each one of them. And you're being vulnerable because you're like, okay, well, I think it's this because there's no, there's nothing that tells you how much you're worth. There's nothing that tells you how much uh, it's going to cost for the whole season. I'm figuring all those numbers out. And then I'm going, okay, right, if it's just a frame, then it's going to be this, and this is going to be the bonus structure. And then if it's this and this and this, then it's this. But if it's this, this, this and this, then it'll be that, you know? So, and when you've done that quite a lot of times and you're living in this complete unknown uncertainty situation the season's creeping closer it's just like a time bomb and you're just about to explode and it did explode and that's when I was like right okay stuff it all I'm gonna do my own thing I knew I had SRAM they had my back the whole time which was amazing like 
uh, John Dawson was incredible. I was on the phone to him quite a lot, just like, what are we going to do? <laughs> Who are going to speak to now? Like, what? how can we make this happen? And then I was like, right, well, now the priority is I don't want any excuses coming into this race season with my equipment. I want to make sure I've got the best of the best. So when I'm there, the only excuse is me and my performance, nothing to do with the equipment. So I spoke with Nukeproof. They got on board. SRAM was obviously on board. They got me hooked in with Zip. Nukeproof got me hooked in with Michelin tyres, amazing tyres. And then Troy Lee was keen as well, so I had mint protection and cooling. And then once I put my videos out, I got more sponsors on board. Backcountry Research Straps were like, oh my gosh, we just want to help you run our straps. We'll give you some money because we just want to see you get out and race. And then Mudhugger was like, we can't give you much, but you can give you a little bit of money and here's some mint mud guards that we're going to custom design for you. So like all of a sudden I had this really nice program put together and I was <laughs> off to the races. So that's, that is what happened. <laughs> Touching on kind of what I said before about the just how well you spoke about that stuff on social media, I think seemed like it started a real outpouring of people just feeling for your plight at that point and wanting to help, which was cool to see. Yeah, it was quite overwhelming, actually, because I'd been making that video for quite a long time. The first one that I put out that was quite raw. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. And I was like, you know, I had to be really careful because it wasn't about pointing fingers. It was about sort of trying to show people, like, if you're not prepared, then you can end up in this situation, you know, and, and this is the reality of that situation once you're in it. And it sucks. And this is difficult. It's not the end of the world, but this is really hard. It's the other side of the bike, the bike industry that you don't necessarily see. But when you're that vulnerable, you never really know how people are going to take it, you know. And I had to be really careful and it was quite nerve-wracking putting it out there because obviously it's, it is very vulnerable, it is very raw. But the response was insane. I was just like, whoa. You know, because people go on about social media and all these haters and like trolls and all that. And I just experienced this whole other side of people's kindness and their want to support and see me succeed and you know, grateful for seeing this side of the bike industry they hadn't seen before. And so I was just like, wow, like the kindness of people is so alive. And this is amazing. Thank you all for like being so kind when I've been so vulnerable and having such a hard time. So thank you all, you know. So yeah, it was, it was pretty uh, overwhelming, actually. I'd be curious to hear some more then just about how the running your own program went and we just had nico malali on a couple of weeks ago who is oh uh, yeah <laughs> quite a story it's, for people who haven't caught that one he um mm -hmm. has started his own team and designed and had his own custom bike built by frank the welder and is going to be running his whole program himself racing a bike he designed himself next year on the world cup circuit which is amazing quite an under yeah it's incredible super super cool story and uh yeah check that out it's episode 100 of bikes and big ideas it's a good one but obviously there's a world of difference between having to throw all of this together very late in the game as you did versus his path of having been planning for this and preparing for it well in advance kind of during the more normal team signing season as it were but you know, it sounds like he's put together enough of a program that he's going to have a, a full-time mechanic traveling with him and 
so on and have pretty good support, even though he's no longer racing for a factory team. He's got a team in place and really has it together. But I'd be curious to hear kind of how what you ended up putting together for 2021. And like, for example, did you have a mechanic with you and all the rest kind of what were you able to make happen at that point? First of all, just talking about Nico, that it was awesome. I haven't listened to him on your podcast, but I listened to him on Downtime and it's really cool what he's done. And I was just, I was in awe. I was like, that is rad. Great idea. And also getting the budget together and getting everybody everybody on board. And like, that's really, really cool. And I think that can definitely work for, for people. For me, it's too much work. <laughs> like, even if I had all the funding, I would need a team manager to take that capacity away from me to have to try and organize and think about it. So for me at the races this year, I was really lucky that SRAM, as part of their sponsorship, for me was that they would look after my bike when I was at those races. So like I had backup when I was there and everything like that. The rest of the time it was just just on me and my boyfriend Joe because <laughs> he's a little bit more mechanically minded and also has a bit stronger hands for like getting the tires just over the lip of the rim, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, in awe of his setup, uh, Nico, that is fair play to him. Very excited to see how that goes and follow along. Yeah, same. It's a super cool one. And uh, yeah, very excited for it. So it sounds like you had solid support, if not the level that you would be at on a factory team necessarily. And I guess take us through a little bit more just how that went, having to take on more of the travel logistics and planning and dealing with all of the little things that go into making a race season hum you know it, i'm sure there was just an immense amount of work that you had to do that you wouldn't necessarily have had to for the last while in your career and sort of were there any surprises or anything major that came out of that or any particular takeaways um i think logistics wise i quite enjoy that kind of thing anyway i'm quite organized when it comes to that and figuring out the best plans i'm a little bit of a plan freak sometimes I'm a flexible plan freak. It's not like a rigid plan freak. <laughs> um, but what made it really difficult was that it was COVID. So it, what would have been like book flights and forget about it or book ferries and forget about it was actually like hold out till the last minute. Can we still actually go to Europe? You know, what's really going on? Can we get into here? Have we got the right documentation? So what is usually a relatively simple thing was quite complicated. So it's difficult to take away from that how it would have been if it had just been a normal year. But just, I think over the course of the season, I realized that even though these are just little things, they're all taking up energy and capacity from me that's taken a percentage away from my racing. And when the racing's as tight as it has been, you can't you can't afford that if you want to do well. And it, I... It was an extreme situation because I'd been so stressed for so long. So physically and mentally, I was a bit smoked all year, <laughs> regardless. But those little things as well then just added to it too. So, yeah, I think I realized what I truly need to perform at the top and if if that's what I wanted to do. And I realized that that is what I want to do. You know, if I wanted to just turn up to races and have a good time and create media and stuff like that, I could continue doing what I was doing. For me personally, I can't get the results doing that. 
but I actually need a team and I need that support around me. I need someone else thinking about all the other stuff so I know that it's taken care of so I can just fully focus all my energy into the performance side of things. And Because I, I totally believe that doing it on your own and having your own setup gives you so much freedom to do it as you want. Like I got to do it for my boyfriend Joe and that was an amazing opportunity this year to do that. And that works for a lot of people. It can can really work. But I just learned about myself personally that a team was going to be a better setup. Yeah, I, I can imagine that, like you said, just having to deal with so many other things and having all that extra on your plate just detracts from your ability to be prepared and focused on when it comes race day. It's, it's just more that you're having to cope with and not focus on training and practice and everything else that needs to go into being a successful racer. And so when the season kicked off, how prepared were you feeling at that point? You know, I, I guess I can imagine that the COVID delay might've actually made some things easier, giving you a bit of extra time to get ready because racing didn't start as early as it might've been in a more normal year. But even so, you know, you, you were on a new bike that you'd only just gotten on fairly recently. And I think, you've talked a bit about how your training had suffered somewhat as you were dealing with all of the stress and everything else that was going on, just figuring out how you were going to be at the races in 2021. How, yeah. How ready were you when season kicked off? I think I was just completely numb at that point because it was so hectic and right up until that first race, like it didn't feel like any time that nothing had stopped. It just been flat out all the way to the races, and all of a sudden I was at the race, and then I was in the race, and I was doing the race, and then it was done. You know, the first round it was just like full on, absolutely flat out. And I think I really enjoy the first race of the season because nobody knows how anybody's going to go, so they're all busy looking at each other rather than thinking about themselves. And I usually just crack on and just <laughs> just take it a stage at a time. You know, right? One stage, next stage, next stage. You know, don't look at results, just get back into the swing of it so preparation wise once I'm in the start line it doesn't matter what's done is done and now it's just about trying to get get on with it the first race I was sixth but it was after that that I realized <laughs> how bad I was you know how absolutely cooked I was and so just kind of made it through the first chunk of the races because mentally I was crumbled and physically just didn't have the form to do double headers, really. I could do one race, but then to back it up again was, that's where I was like, okay, you know, the training has taken too much of a hit with how much stress you had on board. You just, the body's not made en enough adaptions. It's also not recovering properly because you're still too stressed. You know, you've not had time to actually come down and let the body just kind of go, it's okay. Everything's fine again. You know, we can, we can do this. So yeah, it was a bit of a mess. Yeah, that sounds like a really hard situation to be trying to do your best under. And you, you know, you just mentioned there that you were stressed out and not a hundred percent on your A game, let's say necessarily, but I'd be curious to hear a little bit more sort of just about what your mindset was like in terms of how you were approaching the season at that point. You know, I think, well, yeah, you said you were sick and, kind of knew that you didn't necessarily have everything 100% in place to be doing your very best necessarily, but were you 
feeling additional pressure to perform to get yourself back on a factory team for 2022? Or was your thinking more like, well, I'm just glad to be here and showing that I can pull something together out of not much. And how were you sort of feeling about that side of things? I think it was kind of a mix. Like at the first race, when I finished that first race, it was just kind of like, I got a bit emotional about it because I was just like, oh my gosh, like we did it. Like we made it through a race for so long. I didn't know if I was going to be there or not. Like it didn't matter about the result at that point. I was just like, oh wow. Like, wow. Like we've done it. We actually did it. We made it. We're here. We got through a race, Like we made it to the race. We got through a race my bike it's great you know like I was just like whoa this is insane and then when I was six I was just like whoo <laughs> like because I was phew yeah cool so we still got it you know like it was a bit of a relief but then the week after that like well the next race so like two days later <laughs> because I was you know all the relief of all of that and then having to try and do that again and it rained I knew that I wasn't physically or mentally in any shape to be there. I shouldn't have been there, <laughs> you know. But at this point, I was really lucky that I had. I was working with Alan, who's my performance, like mental performance coach, and he was crucial at that point because I was just like, you know, when someone's kind of got the crazy eyes and they're just like they're not really there, and you're just like, whoa, you need to go and have a rest. He was like, you just need to get through this race safely because if I started to try and push it. I would probably crash and injure myself. And when I was riding down, it was so hard because I was like, I can't ride properly because I can't let, I don't trust myself to let this bike go because, you know, I'm so worn out. I don't know if I'm going to react in time. And I can't afford to crash because if I crash and hurt myself, then I can't race. And if I can't race, I can't get results. And if I don't get results, then what on earth does my future hold? And it wasn't so much at that point about, you know, getting back onto onto a team. It was just like, how am I going to keep racing if I don't have results? You know, even just continuing this program that I've began to the level that I wanted to take it to at that point. I was like, well, how, how are you going to do that if you don't have results? And then I was also like, who's going to drive the van? <laughs> if you crash you know I know I had Joe there as well but it's these things that you hadn't considered when you're on a team that you know I was just like oh before I didn't even think about this because it, it didn't matter and that was a, a beautiful thing that I had on a team that I didn't realize until I didn't have it that I was like just crack on and go for it you know because if anything happens you've got these great people around you that will help you out and it, it would have been completely fine but I'm talking from a place of so broken that these things are just clouding the vision not allowing me to sort of race properly <laughs> you know I'm just thinking I'm still in high threat mode I just want to continue racing stay on your bike you know grim it's grim yeah no being that stressed out and just kind of under the gun can definitely cloud your decision making elsewhere and it just makes everything harder and that all <laughs> very much checks out. So, I mean, how critical was it for you having Joe there and racing alongside and whatnot? I mean, I can imagine that that would have made a huge amount of difference just having your partner there and also 
you know, racing the series and kind of going through the same thing with you and just tell us a little more about that. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was like from one extreme to another because he'd gone back to New Zealand. He's a Kiwi for seven months. So I hadn't seen him for seven months. And then he came back and we went straight into living in a van and then going straight into these high stress situations at race. Because we'd obviously raced together, but we were always, I was always with the team and he was with his team. And that was, there was a bit of separation there. And so we went to these races. I'm the most stressed out I've possibly ever been. And he's just like, whoa, <laughs> this is a lot racing with you because <laughs> you're mental. And I was just like, I'm just stressed and broken. <laughs> but he was awesome because he's so chill. He's so logical. And he under- he's, he's a racer. He understands what's going on. So it was it really made the year possible for me. I think I would have been able to do it without him. But like it would have wouldn't have been nearly as fun or having that, you know, that really close person that's your hundred percent support is amazing to have. And I was really, really lucky to have him there. It definitely made the year what it was. And like looking back, it's like probably the highlight, you know, just getting to travel around and race bikes with my partner in crime. That's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, that sounds all right. Was there ever a point in the season where you kind of thought, all right, I'm getting this running my own program thing figured out and maybe I'll just do it again next year? Or were you pretty much focused on trying to get yourself back into a team environment? I know you spoke earlier about how sort of being back on a team felt like it made a bunch of things easier, but was that pretty much the goal for the whole season or were you considering running it back and uh, doing your own thing again for 2022? Oh, like the whole season, I was considering doing my own thing, continuing on. Because I was like, I've created this Moxie 11 brand, this race team that could potentially move into all sorts of different things. And uh, I've not gone to all that effort just to quit straight away. And so I was looking at ways of like how to how to expand it, you know, trying to do sort of a Nico thing. How much money am I really going to need? You know, what are those? what's that project going to look like? you know, where do I want it to go? And I, I literally all season was weighing it up. It took a long time for me to figure out, like, what's the priority here? What's going to be the benefit? These, you know, the pros and cons of being on a team or doing your own program. And just really, it, it honestly took till the eh, last race of the season for me to figure it out, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I was definitely going to be continuing on with my own own program. And so I would imagine that the, especially with kind of the season getting off to a late start due to COVID, there would have been a good chunk of overlap between the sort of portion of the year where you would typically be talking to sponsors and trying to figure out what 2022 was going to look like while the 2021 season was still underway. What kind of, take us through that timeline, I guess. What, uh, when did you start? weighing your options in a sort of more formal way where you're actually talking to teams and whatnot rather than just kicking around in your head what you wanted to be doing and how much did that overlap with the race calendar it really starts in july but i didn't i didn't start in july because i was so like what what do i want to do you know nuke proof had already been made it clear that they were keen you know and i was like well that's awesome because this is kind of something i want to continue on doing you know so I was kind of just weighing up, but it was like, I don't, I, I 
there was so much uncertainty for me as to what, once I go for something, I'm going. That's it. This is what's happening and we're off. But the in-between time where I'm like, oh, is it that? Is it this? Which one do we want to do? And the important thing for me is after having such a rough start to the year, I still had results I needed to get and I needed the break between the races to just calm down. And so those conversations didn't start for me. I didn't start them. I wanted to get some races under my belt. And once I'd had the a good couple, well, at least one good one in Dombe and then some good stages and stuff in Kranz, that's when this conversation started happening. So that was like September time, start of September, end of August, start of September time. So that's when things started to, the ball started to roll. I was like, okay, what are the options? Yeah, and I can imagine it'd be the case where you're kind of, you're just getting the hang of doing this program yourself and running Moxie 11 and all the rest. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I have to start talking to teams now already. What? I, I've, <laughs> I've just started. What is happening? I was like, I just finished these horrific conversations. I'm not ready to go back to that yet. Thank you, everybody. Can we just like, you know, get a little stop clock and just stop time for a wee while? Just let me chill out for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was full on. And, and obviously, you know, when you go through something like that, you've got a lot of, I had a lot of negative emotions attached to negotiating and having conversations with people. So once those conversations did start, I was like, oh, even though it was like, because I was just like, is it going to happen again? You know, I'm going to end up, I don't want to be in that situation again, you know? And it was when, I, that's when Alan, performance coach, he was like, that can't actually happen again. That, that's happened then, but it will never happen again. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, he's like, you already know that new proof are keen. So worst case scenario, you do what you did this year and with less stress because you are, you know, you'll be a bit more chill. And that's, so that's not bad. That's pretty, actually pretty good. So I took a lot of uh, calming from that. I was like, okay, this is going to be all right. You know, okay, we have just negotiated, but this these negotiations are going to be more positive. And I think when you come into situations like that, with a more positive outlook, they are going to go better. Whereas if I kept carrying my negative kind of fear towards it, then things wouldn't have gone the same way, you know? Yeah. And I can also just imagine that it feels easier to kind of negotiate it from what feels like more of a position of strength where, you know, you have at least one option on the table and it's not like any conversation that you're going to is maybe this is the only way I'm going to get to race next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And GT had come to me at that point as well, which was already a really nice start. I was like, oh, look, a brand has gone, hello, we would like to work with you. And that's very nice, rather than me just being like, anybody, <laughs> anyone got a hat? Anyone want to ride? let me ride your bikes or what? <laughs> so that was good. And that was a huge positive as well. It's like, oh, sweet. Now, now things are really moving. That's cool. Yeah, well, I guess that's as good a time as any to talk about the fact that you have signed with GT now and uh, yeah, congrats. Been quite a ride, I'm sure. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'd be curious to hear just more, just kind of what you were looking for in a team and what made you land on GT. Like you spoke before about you weren't looking to just get on a team, any team, anything will do, you know, you, you sort of alluded to having some things that you were looking for, but spell them out a little more. What were they? So, I want to work for nice people, basically. <laughs> and so having conversations with with the 
sort of crew that I was talking to about potentially being on the team, I was getting a nice bite, you know. I was getting, okay, they, you know, I like what you're saying. I think we're on the same page about things. This makes sense. So I was like, okay, this is a good start. The, the big drawback for me was the massive change. And I, I was pretty keen to try and stay with SRAM and Rockstar if I could because they had done so much for me the year before. So that was a, that was a really big decision for me because I um my loyalty loyalty to them was really strong, especially all the brands that I'd been working with. So it was a huge shift for me, and I needed you know them to appreciate that that if this was going to go ahead, this is this is where I'm at, and and they did. They're like, yep, we understand. You know, you just take your time to make the decision. You know, and respected that. The other things that were important to me was. I got the vibe, you know, I got the vibe that they were interested in all the marketing stuff and, and the media that I was producing and things as well. They were keen for that. And I was like, okay, that's good. You, you, you see value in that as well as my racing. So they basically could see me as a whole package and appreciate all of it. Cause sometimes, you know, like I've said before, sometimes brands just want results, but I know that I've got a lot more than just that. And they could see that. So I was like, okay, I, what I can bring to the brand is really being appreciated here. And that, that means a lot to me also they were making a lot of investments into they've got cam cole as team manager now and sort of he's managing the performance side of things within the athletes and stuff and just a bit of reshuffling within the program and it looked really good noga was going to be continuing on which was also really important to me it's one of the first questions i asked them i was like before we go any further what's happening with noga because i feel like there's this thing of like for a lot of us girls it's like okay if one of us coming in that means the other one's out and I was like I'm not that's just not happening <laughs> you know I'll, you know it's just it's it's just, it's silly because it's business unfortunately but we all respect each other and we all have to look after each other in order for the sport to grow so that we all have the best support so then we can all put in our best so then we all have better rating so um when they said that Noga was staying and we want, we still want you as well. And I was like, great, that would be awesome. Two girls on a team. I've done that before in 2016 and 17 with Katie Brown. Great time, really good. And so that was a big, uh, big thing for me as well because GT's a bike brand. It's not like a full-on female situation, but they are sort of leading the way and really supporting that and going, nah, we want two top women on our enduro team. Crack on, we'll have win as well. Like that's mint, you know. That was very cool for me. And I was like, yeah, this sounds like something that's that will be very cool to be a part of. So, yeah, those are a few things that were important. And it just comes back to your values and what's important to you personally when you're making decisions like that. And I felt like they aligned with, with GT as a brand. So, yeah. That's a good bunch of reasons. And it, it is cool, I can imagine, to have another one of the top women on the EWS circuit as a teammate. And I'd be curious a little more about that though, sort of what it feels like having this sort of balance between being teammates on one hand, on the other hand, racing against each other. You know, it's not like it's an XC race where you're mm. throwing elbows out and are literally alongside each other, right? The fact that it's a time trial changes the dynamics somewhat, but I'd still just be curious for your thoughts on that. Oh, it definitely does. Cause, uh, I was an XC racer. Noga was an XC racer too, but I was an XC racer. And when it is head-to-head, -head, it is harder to turn off the sort of competitive head 
with the person next to you because you're like, it's you, it's tactics. Xe's tactics. You're looking for their weakness, trying to figure out what it is to try and capitalize on that. You know, it's gnarly. <laughs> Whereas in enduro, you are doing a time trial, like you say, and I want all the girls to have their best run and for me to have my best run and to genuinely see who can get down the hill fastest. Like that's the kind of race I want to have. So you want to help the people around you because you want everybody, you want to have the best race possible. So if you win that race, you know, it was, you actually won, you know, you really won because everybody had their best run. And that's meant that doesn't, it doesn't often work out like that, but if that's the intention, then that's good. (laughs) It's a satisfying win then, isn't it? Right. It feels like you, you really did it rather than just lucking into someone else's misfortune. Out of curiosity, have you had a chance to ride the force before signing on with GT or were you just kind of having some faith in the bike at that point? I was having faith in the bike. You know, Noga's around about the same size as me and she can make that bike work. So I was like, well, if it works for Noga, hopefully it'll work for me as well. But this goes back to the thing is I knew I had the, I was going to have the support of the team. And so I knew that it would be testing. I knew there would be a lot of more more information available because they've done a lot more of the testing behind the scenes and stuff. So I would have a lot more resources in order to get the bike to the best it can be. So that's why it was like, okay, well, this I can actually make this work. I also knew that I would have six months until the start of the season, not just like two or three, which we would normally have if the season was going to start in March. So there was a lot of things that made that okay, this is realistic for me to get on a brand new bike, completely different setup and have enough time and resources to get this to the place I want it to be. Right. I can imagine just the extra time to get everything dialed in goes a long way, especially, well, like you sort of alluded to how you're not only on a new frame, but you're switching over to Fox suspension and Shimano drivetrain and all the rest. You know, it's it's a mm-hmm. it's a lot of things to kind of get sorted out. Yeah. Complete overhaul. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I rode the bike for the first time yesterday. The people are already like, how was it? How was it? And I'm like, I rode it like down the hill one time and every single thing is different apart from the tires. So (laughs) it's quite different, guys. (laughs) Maybe ask me in a few weeks time once I've ridden on a few more tracks and got everything feeling kind of normal for me. And then I will tell you, (laughs) it didn't feel terrible. That's what you need to know. (laughs) So that's a great starting point. I'm excited. That's about all you can hope for after that one ride. Yeah, I, I get this all the time. I'll get a new bike into test and go out for a ride with a friend for like my first time being on the bike and do one lap and someone will be like, oh, hey, how's it feel? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to get the brakes in the right place. All right. <laughs> I need more time than this. I don't have an answer yet. So, yeah, I, I feel that. So. Take us through your goals for 2022 for a little bit. I mean, besides racing the EWS circuit and putting up the best results you can, do you have anything else kind of in your mind as far as things you'd like to do in 2022 or anything specific goal-wise in terms of results or anything along those lines? I'm definitely trying to be back on that podium. That's for sure. That's a huge focus of mine. And now my body's working properly. I'm just really focused on doing the best possible training that kind of think when something's taken away like so nearly taken away from you you appreciate it so much more so like um I've always trained really hard but now I've put myself in the best position to get the most out of my training so like we've got a nice little setup here in Queenstown 
where I can it's it's basically like a three month training camp here. So that's really exciting. I've got plenty of time to get used to the bike. So all all of the the factors that go into a good performance are in place and now I just need to execute that. In terms of other goals, I just want to keep creating cool content on my YouTube channel to get things ready for another Keeping Up With Katie series and also developing Moxie 11 into its next branch, which is to be confirmed. So that's quite exciting. It's uh, in the works at the moment. So yeah, there's a few other projects going on just to keep things interesting. So it's not just bikes, bikes, bikes. Well, that's an alluring teaser. I guess we'll have to just see what's coming there. But Ooh, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to it. Katie, this has been super fun and a really good chat. Before we let you go, though, as we do tend to wrap things up on Bikes and Big Ideas here, just like to ask everyone, do you have a big idea to share with us? Oh, the big idea. Well, actually, and it comes back to what Box 11 is all about, and it's it's based on a belief that there is uh, courage within every single person to achieve whatever they want to achieve if they just put their mind to it. And that's that's what it's all about. And my big idea is that courage is in you and it's there. You just have to find it and unleash it. So that's my big idea. <laughs> that's really good. I like that a lot. Thanks. <laughs> well, Katie, this has been great. Been a pleasure having you on and best of luck with the upcoming season and the upcoming developments with Moxie 11 and everything else you have going on. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. It's been brilliant chatting to you. Okay. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you enjoyed the conversation, then please give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Katie for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again very soon. Bye, everybody.